All right, well, April 2010. If you were a part of our church family at that point, you may remember a certain little animal that nested outside of our lead pastor, Derek's office, affectionately named Melchizedek. Well, this duck, this mom, and her ducklings were outside the office. Ted Schmidt set up a webcam. We had a Facebook page, Fox News, NBC came and did cover stories on this Melchizedek. Lots happening around this for about a year, uh, this, uh, this cool uh, little duck, t-shirts made. It was crazy time for a church family, really fun. Uh, wound up at the end of it, she and her ducklings were released by Operation Wildlife into the wild. And I don't know a lifespan of a duck, but I assume... Nine years later, duck is still kicking wherever that duck is, or maybe not so much. But uh, really a fun time, a fun time for us to celebrate as a church. Now, of course, we know Melchizedek was named after what Bible person in the Old Testament? Melchizedek. That is correct. And that is actually one of the people that we're going to focus on in our message today, Psalm 110. So if you've got your Bibles, you can turn there. Also, earmark Hebrews chapter 7. We're going to be going in between those two chapters throughout the morning, looking at the connections between the two. Before we read this chapter, I would like to pray specifically for this, and then we'll, we'll begin. God, thank you for your word. Help us. In Jesus' name, amen. Let's read Psalm 110. The Lord says to my Lord, sit at my right hand until I make your enemies your footstool. The Lord sends forth from Zion your mighty scepter, rule in the midst of your enemies. Your people will offer themselves freely on the day of your power in holy garments. From the womb of the morning, the dew of your youth will be yours. The Lord has sworn and will not change his mind. You are a priest forever after the order of Melchizedek. The Lord is at your right hand. He will shatter kings on the day of his wrath. He will execute judgment among the nations, filling them with corpses. He will shatter chiefs over the wide earth. He will drink from the brook by the way. Therefore, he will lift up his head. Interesting beginning the Lord says to my Lord. Now, this psalm is attributed to King David, a king attributing all that he had, he was to the king who was coming, who we know, New Testament, the savior of our lives as Jesus. Anytime we see the word Lord, all in caps, all four letters, it references the name Yahweh or Jehovah. Another name is Adonai that we give to God as reference to that specific Lord, capital L, capital O, capital R, capital D. You may remember a group from a long time ago, Petra, a Christian group, wrote a song on the Beat the System CD. I'm sure you're going to run out and grab it today, called Adonai. Adonai, master of the earth and sky, you alone are worthy, Adonai. Adonai, let creation justify. Let your majesty be magnified in me. Adonai, you are an endless mystery. It's a great description of the name of God, Adonai. So in this, we see David, King David, saying in his life, the Lord says 
to my Lord, God specifically speaking to him, he speaking to the Lord, showing that relationship that he had with the king of kings, the king who was coming, Jesus, which New Testament references to this, there are 18, either directly quoted or alluded to, the most quoted section of scripture from the Old Testament in the New, which is one of the reasons, while we're in this series, the most important passages that every follower of Jesus should know why we're spending time specifically here. It made a great, meant a great deal to the Jewish people who the king, the real king, was. David once again understanding who he was. Five classifications, really, of, of psalms uh, in general, sections of scripture. There are many that have been given over the course of the years, but uh, one being a lament, another royal, another thanksgiving, another wisdom. And so this specific chapter, Psalm 110, uh, is a royal psalm, uh, showing again the line of David or the king, uh, God, King Jesus. So today, in looking at this and in looking at our section in Hebrews, we are going to see Jesus as the perfect uh, king, uh, the perfect priest, and the perfect savior. Initially, of course, we see in this that he is the perfect king, alluded to by David, the one who was coming Beginning in verse 1b, really halfway through it, sit at my right hand until I make your enemies your footstool. Showing that one day, not only in the present when he was talking to Israel, seeing Israel go throughout the world, when they were walking with God, how he gave them victory, battle over battle. One day when Christ returns for us, the kingdom will be set. His reign officially at that point when we're done with sin, when all is said and done, will truly at that point be established and settled as it is settled already in the hearts of us who are followers of Jesus. Sit at my right hand until I make your enemies your footstool. A day is coming when that will happen. Keep your spot there. I'm going to read a few verses in Hebrews chapter 1. And then we're going to come back to Psalm 110, and then we're going to jump into Hebrews uh, chapter 7. Hebrews 1, verses 8 through 13. But of the Son, he says, your throne, O God, is forever and ever. The scepter, remember a scepter or um, something that a king held, was a uh, picture of this position, his power in some respects. When he held that, people understood who he was, of uprightness. Another word for uprightness, righteousness, is the scepter of your kingdom. We know Jesus came, lived the perfect life, died, rose again, giving us opportunity for relationship with himself. He is the rightful ruler, purely, truly, without defect, righteous. We also know uh, in verse 9, you have loved righteousness and hated wickedness. Therefore, God, your God, has anointed you, Jesus being anointed, with the oil of gladness beyond your companions. And you, Lord, laid the foundation of the earth in the beginning. So this goes all the way back to previous to creation. God, Jesus, the Holy Spirit, Trinity, three in one. You laid the foundation of the earth in the beginning, and the heavens are the work of your hands. They will perish, but you remain. They will wear out like a garment. 
Of course, we know all of us, unless Christ comes back first, at one point we'll die. That is, we are born and we die. That's what takes place in the lives of people. But Christ, living, dying, rising again, will not perish. They will all wear out like a garment. Like a robe, you will roll them up. Like a garment, they will be changed. But you are the same, and your years will have no end. And to which of the angels has he ever said, sit at my right hand? That is where Jesus is interceding for us until I make your enemies a footstool at your feet. Once again, showing what is coming. We who have surrendered our lives to Jesus, our King, have been rescued from the dominion of darkness and brought into the kingdom of the Son he loves. And as such, he transforms us and is transforming us heart, mind, and all. So we see that Jesus, in him, who was coming, this king was to come, we know who is the king, is Jesus, was the rightful, perfect king. Verse 2, The Lord sends forth from Zion your mighty scepter, there's the reference again, rule in the midst of your enemies. Your people will offer themselves freely. When Christ impacts our lives. When we surrender to him, we, as a result, give our lives to him freely. Knowing that no one has ever died for us specifically in that same way or ever will, giving us the opportunity of life before. And so in that moment, whether you were five or 85 or somewhere in between when you surrendered your life to Jesus, you did so freely. You chose in that moment to follow him as he called your name You surrendered, you responded to him, and as a result, he's changing you from the inside out, and we do that with joy. There are times in life we lose joy because of circumstances or things that happen around us, but we should not lose the point that we are free in him. On the day of your power in holy garments from the womb of the morning, the dew of your youth will be yours. The Lord has sworn and will not change his mind. You are a priest forever, once again looking forward to the king. We know Jesus after the order of Melchizedek. Now he, Melchizedek, was referenced initially in Genesis 14. We talked about that a couple of weeks ago. When Abraham went to rescue his nephew, Lot, there was Melchizedek, the king of Salem, also known as the king of righteousness or the king of peace. Those were references to his name, what that meant when he went back and offered 10%, giving a tithe back to him who was and served as Abraham's priest. We see this this one, this who became a mythical figure, really, in the lives of those who were Jews, because there isn't much information, again, about him. Hebrews chapter 7, this is our first opportunity to look there. Go to Hebrews 7, verse 1, again, keeping your hand in Psalm 110. For this Melchizedek, king of Salem, priest of the Most High God, met Abraham returning from the slaughter of the kings and blessed him. And to Abraham appointed a tenth part of everything. He is first by translation by his name, king of righteousness, there it is. And then he is also king of Salem, that is, king of peace. He is without father or mother or genealogy. Basically, that's just saying that he was a unique individual that God had set apart for the role that he was. Oftentimes, we think back to the line of the priest of Aaron. Actually, 
the reference here is it goes back to the line of Melchizedek. He's one of the keys as far as processing all of this uh, in the line of Jesus. He is without father or mother or genealogy, having neither beginning of days nor end of life, but resembling the Son of God, he continues a priest forever. So there it shows the consistent line that will never end, which also gave the Jews great hope, knowing that in spite of what was happening, God still had it under control. He was still king. He knew that the line would not end. See how this great man, verse 4, was to whom Abraham the patriarch gave a tenth of the spoils. And those descendants of Levi who received the priestly office of a commandment in the law to take tithes from the people, that is, from their brothers, though these also are descended from Abraham. But this man who does not have his descent from them received tithes from Abraham and blessed him who had the promises. It's beyond dispute that the inferior is blessed by the superior. So it continues talking about the comparison between Melchizedek, the one with whom this priestly order would remain, and then we see Jesus being compared with him, who is the high priest, which leads us to our second point. Not only is Jesus the perfect king, Jesus is the perfect priest. If we remember Old Testament, people were required to bring an animal or something as of that, a perfect offering to the priest who would then make a sacrifice for the people for their sins. There would be a blood sacrifice. If you also remember Old Testament, for the priest to be able to do that, he would have to go behind what was known as the, the, the curtain, the wall into the Holy of Holies. And within that, he would make the sacrifice before God. Now, they oftentimes, I think every time, tied a rope to his ankle. Why did they have to do that? Because if he was killed because the sacrifice wasn't worthy or because his heart wasn't prepared enough, God would strike him dead. I don't think I would have signed on to be a priest. If that happened, indeed it did, there were times when they would have to do what with the rope? Pull on the rope and drag that dead priest right out of there. It was an important role. The Holy of Holies was so critical. Only the priest could enter that position with him. Jesus coming, reference New Testament, that he is the high priest. That then gives us what? Direct access to him. But before we get there, thinking back to the blood sacrifices, none of us that I know of current day or followers of Jesus make blood sacrifices Today, because Jesus was the blood sacrifice for us. Once and for all, he died. Once and for all was our sacrifice. So there's not a need for us to make a blood sacrifice to our God and King any longer because it's been made. And so Jesus, who died and rose again, if we surrender our lives to him, the blood of Jesus does what? Covers our sin. So it doesn't require any longer that we make blood sacrifices. He is our blood sacrifice, which gives us what? Direct access to God. Why is that important? Well, we don't have to go through someone to get to God. We have direct access to him 24-7. As he speaks to us, as he works in our lives, that was not the case in the same respect in the Old Testament. So Jesus coming, living, dying, raising again, giving us direct access to him is a game changer. The game changer and should be in our lives. We are to walk with him as if he were standing right next to us as our best friend, our spouse, our sibling, having dialogue relationship with him all throughout the day. 
allowing him to, through the Holy Spirit, direct our lives, show us where we're to go, reveal truth to us out of his word, and for us to, to follow him in the way that he's called us to. That should give us great encouragement and great hope that Jesus is the high priest. And we too, 1 Peter 2.9, are a chosen race if we have surrendered our lives to Jesus, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people of his own possession, that we may proclaim the excellencies of him who called us out of darkness into his marvelous light. 1 Peter 2.9, priesthood of the believer. We have direct access to God. Finally, we see Jesus as a perfect Savior. If you look in verses in Psalm 110, back to that, 5 through 7, this is somewhat uncomfortable language. We don't often talk about the, the judgment of God or what is coming. The Lord is at your right hand. He will shatter kings on the day of his wrath. When he comes back and he levels it, when he comes back for us, when he establishes his permanent eternal kingdom in heaven, will shatter kings on the day of his wrath. He will execute judgment among the nations, filling them with corpses. That is a picture that oftentimes walking into life way we don't see displayed, books written on. He will shatter chiefs over the whole earth. He will drink from the brook by the way, therefore he will lift up his head. A day is coming. The day is coming. And are we ready to meet this perfect Savior? If we have not surrendered our lives to him, we are not. If we have, we are. Look at uh, Hebrews chapter 10, verses 11 through 13. We're done in Psalm 110, so you can permanently stay in Hebrews, and we're almost done. Hebrews 10, 11 through 13 says this, And every priest stands daily at his service, offering repeatedly the same sacrifices, which can never take away sins. But when Christ had offered for all time a single sacrifice for sins, he sat down at the right hand of God, waiting for that time until his enemies should be made a footstool at his feet. What is that telling us? Christ died for sin once for all, the righteous for the unrighteous, to bring us to God. He was put to death in the body and made alive by the Spirit. And he gives us the opportunity for life in him. Jesus is the perfect king. He's the perfect king in our lives. He's earned that right and that space and that place. And we have access to him directly because he is the perfect priest. We can talk to him 24-7. He is right there with us if we have surrendered our lives. He hears us. He loves us. He's for us and he challenges and desires for us to make an impact on this planet for him. Kingdom difference. And Jesus is the perfect Savior, the spotless and blameless one, righteous, bringer of peace. Are you in relationship with him today? If you are, the things we've talked about, about God being so close as if you were standing right next to you, should be experienced in your life. When we sin, we should understand that we are not sinning just against ourselves or against people. We're sinning against God. And that should bring in our hearts remorse, conviction, leading us to the point of confessing those sins, getting them right, repenting, turning away, and running back to them in right relationship. There are a lot of people who call themselves followers of Jesus, believers who live 
in sin, never hearing or sensing the conviction of the Holy Spirit. I would question their claim. Are you really a follower of Jesus if you never sense the conviction of the Holy Spirit when you sin? He loves us in spite of ourselves. In the midst of that, our sin, he forgives us, cleanses us, and puts us back on the path that he wants us on. And all of us wrestle with sin. And the gratitude that should flow from our lives to him because of what he's done, because of what he's doing, and because of what he will do should be so tremendous that those around us should know who our first love is. He is our perfect king. He is our perfect savior. He's our perfect priest. How are you relationally doing with him today? And if something is off, will you utilize the next moments to make it right with him? And if you've never surrendered your life, will you do so today? Let's pray.